Hi, my name's Lauren Orlick. Hope for today and hope for the future. Femtech means to me women empowerment and innovation. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus Podcast, brought to you by Fem Health Insights, the leaders in women's health market research and consulting. In this show, we have meaningful and provocative conversations with Fem Health experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. And before we get into today's episode, I'm so excited to announce the release of the 2022 Femtech Landscape Report available right now at femhealthinsights.com. This year's report includes an in-depth analysis of the 2022 femtech market, including market size, growth trends, and key players. You'll also get an overview of the investment activity, including funding trends and notable deals. If you're an entrepreneur, an investor, working in R&D or business development, and you're a professional interested in how you can learn more about the femtech industry, you will not want to miss this essential guide to the latest trends and opportunities in the field. So come and get it, y'all. It's free. Head over to our website, www.femhealthinsights.com and download your copy today. In today's episode, I interview Lauren Orlick, one of three co-founders of HeartSnug. Lauren's childhood best friend and HeartSnug co-founder, Sarah, has experienced firsthand the challenges inherent with being subjected to countless medical exams and procedures. A complex congenital heart defect resulted in Sarah undergoing open heart surgery as a baby and throughout her life. Lauren also saw how dispiriting the medical process can be when her own mother went through a battle with cancer. Always trying to be part of the solution, she was inspired to search for ways to make patients feel more comfortable during procedures associated with physical exposure and emotional vulnerability. Together with co-founders Sarah and Lisa, Lauren founded HeartSnug, the first of its kind patented adjustable and disposable medical garment. Looks like a bra, which can be worn by itself or under a medical garment as an additional layer of support. HeartSnug aims to help patients feel dignified and with the emphasis on patient privacy. This is a great opportunity to learn more about the benefits of providing privacy in the medical setting, where consent plays a critical role in women's healthcare, and how HeartSnug is a product much needed to provide autonomy and respect back to the patient. Learn more about HeartSnug at heartsnug.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on the show today. It is a pleasure to have you. I came across your product a few weeks ago, like not even more than a month. I don't even know how I found it, but as soon as I saw it, I said, this is what Femtech is. It is simple, 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 but yet has incredibly big impact for women's health. So I just was like, Megan, our amazing podcast producer, get them on the show. And so happy to have such a quick turnaround. Um, let's kick off the episode with learning a little bit more about you first, um, and then your team, and then your company. But tell us, who are you? Hi, well, my name's Lauren Orlick, and I was born and raised in San Francisco, Bay Area. 
After graduating college with a degree in psychology and sociology, I came back to San Francisco and held various positions within human resources at large companies and left to raise, I had twin boys. So I left to have a full-time job in a different area. And after about six, seven years ago, I was brought in to run a benefit for the nonprofit organization called Hair to Stay, which subsidizes scalp pooling treatments for patients undergoing chemo, uh, chemo process. And so it allows patients opportunities to keep and retain the majority of their hair and really help them from a self-esteem perspective. And so seeing it's such a pioneering system, but for every thousand dollars we raise, we could subsidize one patient. And so wow. really planning for the benefit allowed me to see firsthand these incredible women that are leading the change, pioneers within the breast cancer community, hair to stay partners with UCSF in the wisdom study, along with Dr. Laura Esserman, who's really one of the leading doctors, breast cancer doctors in the world, really changing the infrastructure of how we look at breast cancer today, as well as in the future of how it'll be treated. Well, I already can hear how you were perfectly set up for the company Heart Snug, <laughs> considering <laughs> like things that disproportionately affect females, self-esteem, you know, like the patient's perspective. So keep going. I'm like, oh, you're already you're already the perfect co-founder for this company. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Wait till you hear about my other two co-founders. But really, in this case, we're sporting patients going through the breast cancer process and helping them feel more dignified during this difficult mm -hmm. process. And so whether it was to help them keep their hair, I mean, we did lots of testimonials, video production around interviewing patients that have used scalp pooling to really highlight at our benefit. And so really hearing the stories and the impact that scalp pooling has had and will continue to have just left me with everlasting feelings and really the week of, well, actually the week of the benefit, uh, unfortunately my mom's cancer was, was uh, had come back. And so she was going to go through chemo and in fact be a patient of the scalp pooling device, which eight months prior, I knew nothing about, mm -hmm. wow. not anything about being able to, for women to be able to keep their hair during during the cancer process. Yeah, it's kind of a newer, newer thing, but uh, still very much luxury. Like you're saying a thousand dollars for one patient, right? Right. But in the UK, it's been practiced for so long that it wasn't until a woman uh, locally, I believe, I believe in 2010, even brought, became aware of the device and yeah. brought it to UCSF. And, of course and, it was a woman, right? Yeah, it, was, it was. That's how women said, I'm going to pay for the trials. I'm going to pay for the funding. Let's do this. And so Bethany Hornthal, who runs Hair to Stay, as well as Dr. Laura Esserman and her team really fought, raised millions of dollars to fight the FDA and got it approved. And now fast forward, it's approved through insurance companies or some bureaucracy. I won't get into that, but, <laughs> but, but the bottom line is, you know, that I saw my mom go through this process after the benefit of, you know, I was her primary care when she was going to all of her cancer treatments and really seeing, literally remember this one time pushing her wheelchair because she couldn't walk and uh, holding her walker and trying to adjust her gown. So as I'm walking and pushing the wheelchair to her appointment, 
she's not visually you know, exposed and her mm. chest isn't exposed and her, her gown isn't getting caught in the wheels. I'm pushing, mm. I mean, it was a situation where we saw her doctor at the end of the hallway. She had a question about her body and her reaction going through radiation and literally we were trying to get her attention. I was screaming, you know, it's like doctor kid and, you know, running and trying to, it was a, it was just so awful. And so yeah. these processes really, these feelings really, stuck with me and hit home. Mm. And so to this day, I still work with hair to stay. Um, Sarah, like you said, is Sarah Dorbans, one of our second co-founders who had open heart surgery. She had a complex heart decision uh, condition as a baby and had open heart surgery at UCSF. And so throughout her life, she was put through a litany of exams and appointments and really, especially at UCSF, it, it's a teaching hospital. So not only were the doctors in the room, but you know, there was the residents, there were other, you know, medical staff in the room constantly during her appointments, her procedures, uh, you know, the full. And as a, as a um, growing woman, still learning about boundaries and your body, you know, I can remember I had my first ovarian cyst, I was 13 and going to the gynecologist for the first time was so scary, so nerve wracking. Uh, and then I had to actually have surgery and I can remember 13-year-old Brit, and I've shared this before on the show, I just want to hug her so hard because I stayed up all night the night before surgery so scared about whether or not I should shave my pubic hair. Yeah. What? That is so not a concern of the doctors, whether or no, not- No, but as a teen girl, I mean, you birthed a teen. A teen. Oh. And, and I, you know, we use this as women, but I'm part of the LGBTQ plus yeah. community. Like it's- we say, I say patients, you know, and so it's those that also are going through yeah. their body in an awkward stage and yeah. have parts that they might not feel comfortable with or identify internally. Yeah. And so you going to a doctor for, that's his, you know, that one specific procedure and the doctor, how many procedures does he do of that a day or, you know, within a week, but you personally, that, that doesn't change how you feel as a yeah. patient. Yeah. And I look back and I remember, you know, like had zero concern for being under anesthesia, having my stomach cut, like uh, potentially it popping beforehand immediately, like none of that. I was so nervous whether or not. And honestly, my brain, I thought, well, if I shave, they'll think I'm a slut, i.e. Yeah. put in 13 year old language. Like, but again, like that's the kind of stuff that was that literally kept me up at night. So please continue to tell us what, so you have one co-founder who has had this open heart surgery. She's had this lifelong struggle of, you know, where, where's her dignity? Where's her body privacy? You have a third co-founder, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Lisa Humiston. So it's Sarah's sister. So she has, you know, that unique perspective as well as being, you know, day in, day out with her sister going through this chronic condition and just being that sister, they have such an amazing bond and, uh, you know, but she, Lisa personally is, um, has twin girls, Mia and Rachel, or not twin girls, I'm sorry, teen girls. Teen oh, girls. I was like, y'all are all twins. twins. No, I'm so sorry. <laughs> they they look like they're twins because, I mean, beautiful, tall, but um, no, uh, teen, girls. teen girls. And so specifically for her, not only personally, she's got back issues. So going through MRIs and other, um, you know, appointments, but really from a teen perspective sees what the impact of the lack of bottom line, the lack of medical garments there are today and the row and the gown being that one size fits mm -hmm. all status quo uh, 
go to, this is what we stock. This is who have the monopoly on the market is really the, the gowns, yep. disposable, non-disposable, you name it. Well, let's jump into what is Heart Snug. I think we've talked definitely a lot about the reasons why, right? Um, yeah. You guys made this, but tell us about the product itself. So Heart Snug is, is first of its kind, really proud to say. We just got our patent uh, a couple weeks ago. So we're, uh, you know, from that just rolling out, we're still in our definitely, even though we've been planning this for a very long time, it's been really the only the past month, month and a half that we've been able to really share it and and spread the love and word and get those samples. Wow. Well, there, somebody but... sent it to me right away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's what, that We've had great media coverage and and uh print that it's just really really amazing support so we're really really grateful in that way but it's a dis- bottom line it's a disposable medical bra it can be adjusted it fits majority of body types there's three different sizes and um you could see here to the left it has the um or for those online it's a it mimics a sports bra type uh design and so it has a two Front, you, you put it on so that those with limited mobility, even in their shoulders, so we're working with geriatric care as well, that they can put this on. And so you slip one arm in, the other, and then the front, there's two front clasps, that the front, um, sorry, flaps that go on it. And then you welcome <laughs> I lived it day in, day out. But the first flap goes across the the two chest, your chest, and then the other chest goes or the other flap goes in the front, and it velcros, and so therefore it provides accessibility for provide you know exposing one chest at a time. Yep. And it has so, an elastic band on the bottom, so it really provides that physical and mental mm-hmm. support. Sorry. So just the, no, no, no. I mean, you're you're like one of the product designers, and so here's yeah. here's my description of it, listeners. Yeah. It literally looks like a medical garment, that very thin papery thing, right? That goes around you. But instead of it being open in the front, like when you're at the gynecologist and you get all that like wind and air up in your vagina and you're like, ah, this is uncomfortable. I normally wear underwear, right? I'm not a commando girl. So (laughs) that's not a sensation I usually get. But their garment, it's only halfway down your waist and it has, I didn't know you had that that band. So that's awesome. You're kind of helping close it on the bottom. And then that Velcro comes across. And so it's like the woman has this ability to move her arms or show something or put, take something from her purse or tech without it falling open. And, um, I have spoken actually to several physicians who I, all I told them was that it's a, a medical garment that has Velcro on it. And they were like, this is revolutionary. Yeah. So it's x-ray it's, safe. Uh, it was made out of durable, breathable material. So it's, it's really. It's not incredible. brain science, but yeah, exactly. it, you know, but it it really hits home, and it yeah. you know, a lot of doctors and patients that we've been exposing heart snug to is I can't believe it didn't exist. Why yeah. didn't it exist? And so through our you know, once we decided that we know there is a need from it and for it, and so we brought on. We wanted to make sure we were legally protected from our design, and so that's when we brought on our you know. A to make sure that helped us with our patent design and really helped us through those difficult questions and and process in and of itself. But this came out of Heart Snug came out of literally a call. Sarah had a stroke when she was 40. So it put her back in the hospital. Luckily, she's okay. Mm. But she was put through 
a couple days of procedures and, you know, appointments and just had that same feeling of vulnerability that why, you know, 40 years later, 45, why are we, why is there not a better way? And so from that, you know, hospital stay, she came out and called Lisa and I, and we got on the phone and just started talking about, yes, within the, you know, with where the impact can really truly be in so many different areas within the medical community. Yeah. And so I think this is kind of an obvious question, but the reason we need these medical garments is so that doctors can access your body, right? So they can do a breast exam. They can check your abdomen. They can, I guess, in an emergency situation, like give you a needle or something, right? Right. Okay, cool. What I love about your product is that it's um, not only the utilization of the doctors can still access the patient's body, but the patient can now deny access potentially, right? There's like the option where it's on the the patient to decide whether or not it's open versus you don't have a choice in it. It is open. There is no connection, connecting piece, right? Um, And so- what the current designs for like privacy gowns, it's almost kind of counterintuitive to call them privacy gowns when the total back is open or the total front is open. Um, You know, has anyone in the literature, like when you were building your business model, your plan, like, did you find any historical data on like when these came about? Has anyone ever considered like making one that has more actual privacy or, you know, like what's the history of medical garments? There's been little to none as far as innovation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, to be, Sounds to answer like the question, they've added uh, designs, they've uh, <laughs> yeah, modified them for children by added children designs. We're doing a lot of work within the children hospitals, okay. which we're really excited about, but, you know, some have a side, um, you know, design of a, you know, maybe a, a different closure option of the buttons or snaps, but it's really just been the status quo. I mean, the hospital, is, according to Grandview Research, the global hospital gown market valued within 2021 was valued at $4.3 billion with an annual growth rate of 13% a year through you know 2030. The disposable gown market alone was estimated in 2021 to be valued at $2.29 billion with a growth rate of within 2028, $5.61 billion. So wow. you have the three M's of Cardinals and Medline, this, you know, that, that own the majority of the market share, but it is just how cheap can we get them? You know, there's mm-hmm. varying gowns and depending on the procedure and, and the need, but they really own the market. I mean, there's. You know, I so- wonder if your product actually will create an, um, a different economic uh, influence in terms of potentially patient retention at doctors that use your garment, right? So like if the patients feel more comfortable, you could yeah. potentially make this argument that like actually it'll increase the revenue of physicians that use it based yeah. on that. Um, right. What are like the, uh, what's the impact of not having a privacy gown? What's the impact to the patient? It's interesting when I saw that question, the first I can I'll go over my, you know, the the data and the research. But what came to life is is Sarah's Sarah's life. It it just flashed before me, not having a privacy garment, not being able to provide Sarah with a layer, uh, one one layer of a bra that we use bras for everything. Right. And the only time we don't put on a bra is when we go to bed. 
<laughs> so we wake up and there's just that feeling, right? There's just a feeling. Mm. So, so if, you know, by looking at Sarah's life and what she's gone through, and like I explained through the litany of exams and the, and the, the residencies that wanted to learn because she was first of her kind, really to have her pr- procedure at, you know, mm. at birth to, you know, at 40 years old, having a stroke and it's still, you know, she's, they live in LA now, but they're at another teaching hospital, large hospital, which also, you know, we, we want to educate our residency and our doctors and continue that education, but we also have to see what it, what it does to the individual. So Sarah, you can't go anywhere near her chest. So uh, you can't, there's this like shield, no matter her husband, anyone, you can't, she had a scar. And so um, no matter if it's her necklace, no matter if your shirt looks great, there's just this inherent, um, you know, it's like uh, a vulnerable body spot. Pose. So it it's is. A, yeah. yeah. It, it hits, it hits deep. So, you know, as far as not having a, a privacy garment, I mean, there's, Modesty is real. You know, when you talk to doctors and you look at statistics around modesty within the within the medical setting, it refers to patient shyness, fear of exposing their body to someone else. And the reasons that people feel reluctant about revealing their bodies include embarrassment of injury or illness, fear of being judged, opposite sex medical provider, mm-hmm. past medical or sexual trauma, religious or cultural beliefs. So, you know, like often people can separate their typical need for modesty when it comes to medical care, but some can't. And so I ask you and I ask your listeners and I, and I ask, and I, we question the medical professions to say, you know, we, is this really the best practice that we want to strive for? We know better, we know more. So let's do more now. So being able to see what a lifetime of appointments can have on someone or if individual appointments, it really takes a toll. And women are speaking louder more than ever now. Like you said, you know, our kids are saying, if you don't want to get naked in front of a doctor, tell them, no, I don't feel comfortable. Yep. Yep. I, I feel like I was never given that option. I no. didn't know. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was an option. Up, no, right? it was status quo, right. It was taken yep. for granted. You get into a gown and you, you get naked. You get, you know, there's, we'll talk about consent, but like you, you just go to the doctor to help them find the solution. And at times you get naked, you you do what they say at times. Yeah. Reminds me a lot in femtech of menstrual pain as just something that the world has said, well, that's just what it is. You need to accept it, right? And so similar for this, I'm uncomfortable in this cold, sterile medical room, naked under what feels like the worst napkin I've ever used in my life because it's not even thick and you can still see and feel everything under it. So um, it's it's similar to that. It seems like, well, in comparison to all of women's health, like how big of a deal is this? But it's actually this like chronic underlying unsafe feeling actually um, that is- And level of comfort, right? There's there's just this huge level of comfort that if a patient- feels more comfortable, women, man, doesn't matter, they, them. If a patient feels more comfortable in a medical setting with a provider, they'll be, you know, the communication will be better. They'll be able to open that dialogue and have a more active role, hopefully in a more positive outcome of their recovery and or health process, healthcare process, instead of, listen, not going to the practice. I went to a dermatologist around this time and I had a spot on my shoulder and I went in and 
he had me fully naked in, in the first two minutes. And I sat on the chair. He had two assistants with him. And for 35 minutes, I tell you, 35 minutes, I was sitting on the chair feeling so vulnerable. And I remember adjusting the gown to try to cover up what he wasn't looking at. And he kind of kept getting annoyed at me by adjusting because I was in, interfering. And, and I'm not saying all doctors are like this at all, yeah, but, but, but I'm not going back to him. Yeah. I'm choosing as a woman, like, you know, and that's why there's been a shift in female doctors within, you know, that there are certain practices that women patients and patients feel more comfortable going to same sex. Yeah. Statistics show. Yeah, totally. Uh, Well, are there any requirements right now for medical professionals to respect female patients as humans? You know, are there guidelines around consent or asking to touch before doing so? Great question. So Yes. Right. So, so there is consent. Doctors have the code of ethics. They have the fiduciary responsibilities within a provider, um, doctor relationship, you know, and, and so there are, you know, the, the code of ethics include maintain the highest standard of personal conduct, strive for excellence in all aspects of the medical practice, you know, to abide by the highest ethical standards and activity designed to attract, you know, patients to your practice. So, I mean, there's, yes, they all, you know, but as far as there's, there's also consent forms. So as a new patient, you sign consent forms when you, how long ago, like I sign all those. I'm I'm telling you, right. And this is the, this is the, the issue as well. I mean, there's consent forms around certain procedures and, and disclosures and what happens if, but, uh, you know, you, Sarah Silverman actually talks a couple years back about when she went into, uh, get an ultrasound in the radiologist where the technician applied the gel with his bare hands. So, okay. So she probably went in, you know, you know, giving consent to get the ultrasound, but consent that didn't include the way yeah, because normally for our listeners who've maybe not had one, it's the jelly it's, is put onto the belly, like squeezed onto the belly and then rubbed with the ultrasound device itself. Yes. Not I'm going to massage lube onto your pregnant belly with my bare hand. Yeah, but but that's just one. That's one instance. There's so yeah. many. There's so many. And there's reasons why at the back of the medical doors that, you know, in the back of the exam rooms, if there's any, there's a number for you to call if there's been any complaints or anything that happens. And I know personally, I've left messages and other people and we haven't necessarily gotten callbacks. Wow. Um, so there's room for improvement. There's there's a lot of room for improvement. Patients don't sign away the uh you know their right to get fully undressed and naked mm-hmm. in a gown for every single procedure. I mean it's doctors trying to build that relationship with their patients and those that are asking patients to get undressed and in a gown. I, I, I challenge you to think about is it really are they do they need to fully get undressed for yeah. the appointment and can they use heart snug, which they have been using and it shows a whole level of comfort and one in which I can explain and talk to you about the, the layout and the design of heart snug, but there's something that's, you can't express. You can't explain when you put heart snug on as a patient, what it does mm-hmm. mentally to you. Yep. 
Uh, you know, I did hear this. There's a woman in Israel who will have to put this in the show notes. She surveyed a thousand women in Israel about their experience with a gynecologist. And she actually created like this bill of rights um, of, you know, what women deserve to have. And they, she actually brought it to the government. They made it law. And now you can see the bill of rights and all the gynecological offices in Israel. Incredible. I want to see that. We'll definitely uh, put that in the show notes. Please. Um, and they were really, really simple things. It was like, I want a hook to put my clothes on because otherwise it's just on a pile on the floor and I just don't feel, you know, respected. So another one was do not have the uh, door on the opposite side of my table where I'm straddled open. Like in case anyone walks in, I'm nervous. Right. Um, another one, which I thought was awesome was similar to the dentist who they say, hey, if anything hurts, just raise your hand because my hands are in your mouth, right? Well, in the gynecologist's office, for those who may not have had a, a pap smear or a well-woman exam, you're not making that direct eye contact with your physician a lot of times, right? Yeah. They're under, yeah. they're behind your legs, down on a little stool, and there's like a cover over your legs. So you're not even making eye contact. And they do usually say like, okay, this is going to be cold, but like, that's just a warning. <laughs> like they don't, yeah. I still... Don't say, hey, and so the, pro the excuse me, the Bill of Rights thing, it said, um, you know, doctors need to always say, hey, if anything's ever uncomfortable, uh, please tell me immediately, you know, like, but just having that consent, you know, or like letting you know, like, that, yes, it might be cold. Yes, it might be uncomfortable. But by the way, you're the one in charge. Yeah, absolutely. I, lo I love hearing that. I mean, the I, I am very interested in hearing more about it. I think there needs to be standards and regulations even yes. around medical garments and as well as how we treat our patients when they walk in the door, no matter what, what their, you know, illness or situation is. There's what's called trauma-informed practices. And mm. I think that there is, it should be patient-informed practices. It's, it's a practice that they use, that they put more awareness and um, you know, do a little bit more with those patients that have been through a past trauma. And it's such as, and it's a lot of what everybody should be experiencing. Yep. If, if you, if you will talk about some of these standards around offering privacy when changing clothes, offering a choice to stay in the clothes, assessing if it's needed to be naked for the procedure, fully explaining the process and obtain informed consent before touching, starting with the youth. Be sensitive to a person's culture, race, gender, and sexual orientation, exposing the only examined areas, initiate conversation and comfort, take time to listen to a patient, leave time for questions. I mean, all these are basic and in, in my opinion, should be standard. Yeah. I remember the first time I worked out with a friend a few years ago and she is a trauma informed individual and mm -hmm. every, she would like show me a move with a barbell or something. And she'd say, okay, you do it. And she'd come up behind me and she would always say 100%, even if I had already consented, she'd say, may I touch you? And I'd say, yes. And then she'd touch me. Right. And, yeah. but it was like every single time, every single exercise, it didn't matter if I already said yes, like she was going to continue to ask me, may I touch you? And it was so small, but like, I became a dedicated workout buddy to this human. I was like, it's, it's a little care respect. about me. You're like, you know, yeah. I really trust you. Oh yeah. man. So you know, medical patient modesty actually puts out, it's this nonprofit organization. They have this quote that I'm going to tell you it's yeah. because something is done in the name of health doesn't make it blindly accessible. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
So the Bill of Rights, one of them, it was also, um, you have the right to insert your own speculum because they showed that the woman was capable wow. of doing it. And so they yeah. were like, you have the right to actually say, no, I'd like to insert it myself. And wow. it's, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm hearing you say in that quote. That's like, yeah. even though the doctor's always done it, like if medically, like she can do it herself and she feels more comfortable inserting a device into her, like she should be allowed to do that. Um, what are other areas of improvement for respecting a female patient during exams, you think? I think the the more that you can communicate, the better. And the more that you can, it's it's communicating through what their past experiences are to really what, you know, sitting at the table and, and what brought them there today and, and hear their concerns, you know, provide heart snug, obviously provide heart snug to your <laughs> patients, give them a choice. And so what we're saying is, it's that not everybody has um, patient modesty or that they, you know, some feel okay getting naked and uh, under a gown and it's not an issue, but it shouldn't be the medical provider making that choice. It should be the patient's choice. So when they check in, one of our goals, like when they check, when you, when a patient checks in, offer them a gown and a bra. And so being able to provide them that level of comfort from the beginning already sets you up for success, in my opinion. And do you think that if we make the, and this sounds like a kind of a silly question because I know the answer, right? But do you think making the medical system a more safer and respected place of patients, women would actually increase their healthcare attendance? Absolutely. Definitely. I mean, they, like we said, women have choices on who, what, and what doctors they want to attend and go to. And, and uh, I think that it, it plays a big role in them with the faith and the trust that they have within the healthcare system. I mean, there's so many reasons why people avoid going to medical appointments in general, whether it's denial, worry, you know, your sexual orientation, prior negative experience, trauma, um, barriers, whether, you know, um, accessibility, whether, you know, it's offered in other parts of the, the country. I mean, we live in San mm-hmm. Francisco, we live in places where we have great technology and, and infrastructure. And so e- accessibility for all is really, really important for us. And just making sure that the patient's being brought to, to, you know, being considered from a holistic Mm. perspective, a holistic perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I see a lot of reasons why the healthcare system has become the way it is in terms of kind of a manufacturing, like, you know, um, uh, fulfillment line almost, right? Like they have to, their numbers, they only have this much time. And so like the, I, so I can graciously say like, I'm sure physicians don't intentionally, want bad feelings, but they are thinking about all these other things. But that's why we as advocates of women's health come in and say, Hey, if you just ask, may I touch you? If you just provide garments like this, by the way, not only is your exams going to go better. And if we change to a value-based care model, like you're going to have better outcomes because you're going to have better attendance of by your patients, but also, Hey, by the way, women are the chief medical officer of their family. And if she trusts you, she's going to be bringing her kids, her husband, like she's going to trust that system respects her. And if she has daughters, especially she's going to be like, they're going to take care of her. They respect my body. They're going to respect her. Yeah. And they're going to stay on top of the timeline too, right? You have to say within your medical appointments, you have to hit them, 
and, and make sure you're staying current. And if you're not comfortable or you don't feel comfortable going to your past doctor, sometimes Whether you know it or not, right. It's like a subconscious yeah. thing though. Yeah. Why would you sign up to go to something that you know is going to hurt and be uncomfortable? Right. So yeah. And research shows that patients are much more likely to disclose health information to their provider when they trust the, mm-hmm. when they, when there's the, that trust established and that there is that level of, okay, this provider, yes, he or she's extremely busy and they have X amount of patients. They've got to see every 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is, but they're taking time because I'm here in the office and they see me Yeah, and part and, and providing heart snug to your patients is seeing your patients. Mm-hmm. Well, tell our listeners, is Heart Snug available and how can yeah. they get it? Absolutely. We are ready to go. We have, you know, we can distribute, manufacture all over. Uh, we are already actively sending out samples. Please visit our website at heartsnug.com and request a sample. I definitely encourage those that when you have your next doctor appointment or exam, please mention it to your medical provider. Let them know about HeartSnug. Hopefully they've already heard about it, but if they haven't, we will 100% send out samples. We're working with trials within hospitals, um, you know, all over. Today, we got a request from a woman in the UK who uh, works with uh, women who have gone through mastectomies, so working mm-hmm. with their breast tissue and, <clears throat> and, uh, she says, is, is heart snug for, you know, I want, I, I feel bad when I'm working on my patients and yes, it's just me in the room, but when I'm exposing you with a gown, if I try to expose one breast, I, I want the other breast covered. And I said, absolutely. This is the perfect example of how, you know, yes, you can access the right chest and still have the less left chest covered. That's so, right. uh, you know, so um, we're, the goal is to get heart snug in as many patient women patients as, as we can and to yeah. as many providers. So yes, please visit our website and check us out on Instagram or at heart snug. So. And I love the, uh, the suggestion for patients, for listeners, women go to your doctors and just show them on your phone this, because I've done it to a few doctors so far and all of them have been like, Oh my gosh, I would happy to have that in my office. So actually it brings up a, a good point. So, um, in the next couple of days we're launching on Amazon. So <gasps> We are really excited. So we are trying to hit. So we're not just selling a bra, it's a movement. And you know, and, and you'll hear and you've heard from the our impact stories and and they come up daily, by the way. Not only, you know, we get a lot of I was just at this appointment and I needed heart snag. Mm. And so, you know, this is something where we are really excited and passionate and empowering patients now to not just have their providers provide it for them, but also put it, you know, buy a five pack, 10 pack, put it in your go bag, put it in your trunk, put it in your emergency response kits. That's where, you know, we are really excited to start talking to disaster recovery Mm. uh, services, um, you know, to help get heart snug out to third world countries as well. And those that are hit with disasters that you don't necessarily leave with a bra and the kids yeah. don't have a bra in them. They don't, yeah. they have yeah. ponchos and they have other things, but that, that kid, I mean, if you could for, you know, the cost of it to be able to get, have something in the time being, it's a very high quality made too. So even though we say it's disposable, it's, it can be open and closed multiple times because of the way the stitching is um, within the Velcro. And so, um, you know, we're telling oh. patients, 
Oh, go ahead. People should totally check out Femtech Focus because I'm going to get a sample. I'm going to try it on, make a boomerang and uh, and make sure we're promoting this. Thank you so much for all the hard work you're doing. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show today. Well, thank you, Brittany. I appreciate all your help and continued support. So thank you so much to all the listeners as well. Follow us on Instagram at HeartSnug and check us out and order a sample on HeartSnug.com. Thank you for listening to my episode with Lauren Orlick, the co-founder of HeartSnug. Be sure to order your sample at HeartSnug.com, either for your medical practice or to show your healthcare provider what the future of patient privacy and bodily autonomy in healthcare can look like. Okay, Fem fans, it's time to get engaged. If you love the show, then you'll definitely enjoy reading our weekly newsletter. Subscribe at femhealthinsights.com. While there, you can also join our virtual community, which has over 1,000 Femtech founders, investors, and advisors you can get insights and feedback from. We have an active events calendar, jobs board, and much more. Please give our social channels for Femtech Focus and Fem Health Insights a follow. The links are in the show notes. And don't forget, sharing is caring. Send this show to a friend or colleague and keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.